0: Catholic commentary, spiritual warfare. Stay ready, so you don't have to get ready. Jesus, nine one one.
1: Soul Patrol, Jesus nine one one. My name is Jesse Romero. I'm on my way from uh, from my house to downtown Phoenix, Arizona. There's an Arizona. Uh, march for life and we're gonna participate. Hopefully there's hundreds, if not thousands, of people that are be down there uh advocating for for the unborn. I got my partner Paul Clay on today, Paul from calling from an undisclosed
2: location somewhere in Nevada. Paul, are you on? Yes, yes, I'm on. I'm here I'm here at the desk while you're in the field. You kind of remind me of uh the Holy Spirit, Jess. Although uh we can't see you. Your presence is, uh, your presence is felt. <laughs> hey, Paul. It's all good. It's yes, sir. <laughs> we, just, we just started a special
1: time in the Catholic faith. It's, uh, yesterday was Ash Wednesday, and uh, well, now we started this 40, 40 uh, Lent we, we journey. It, it, here's something very interesting. When you count the number 40, it's a, it's a tenth of the year. 40 days out of 12 months, it's a tenth out of the year. And so what's happening is God is asking us to tithe. Lent is a time for Catholics to tithe to God with more prayer, more fasting, and more almsgiving. What can you tell us about this the season of Ash Wednesday and Lent, Paul?
2: Yeah, Jess, so uh, as everybody knows, every good Catholic knows that Ash Wednesday is the first day of Lent, and uh you know, it's kind of funny because uh, if you're not Catholic and they see us walk <laughs> around with ashes on our for- on our forehead in the. Getting a lot of feedback, Jess, I don't know what that is in the background. Uh, OK, so so essentially we have a uh, again, we're talking about the ashes placed on our forehead uh, in, you know, in, a, in the form of a cross. And uh, that might seem odd. Uh, if you're not Catholic, but for us, it's a time of uh, as a community, it's a time where we can repent as a community. And these roots, they go back all the way to uh, ancient Judaism. So uh, I'll give you an example. Like Number one, the first thing that ashes should remind us of is our mortality. Right. Uh, in Genesis 319. And by the way, the church uses all of these references, you know, these scripture references you know actually in the readings but in genesis 3 19 um adam and eve after they sinned god declared uh, till you return to the ground for out of it you were taken and to dust you shall return uh, that was a result of sin and so the dust reminds us that we're we're just mortal uh, we're you know we're only here temporarily um the other thing, you know, that comes to mind is, uh, and I'll read it, it's uh, in Daniel uh, chapter nine, verse three. This is what he says. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and terrible God who gives covenant and steadfast love with those who who love him and keep his commandments we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled turning turning aside from thy commandments and ordinances you know um there we see Daniel he's actually doing penance for the people and so uh again you you, you see his this idea of fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And sackcloth was a like a rough cloth that would actually be uncomfortable, you know, and, and uh, if you put it on. And again, there again, uh, you know, with pointing the way to the fact that, uh, you know, we have sinned against God and uh, we need to repent. So that's that's one of the main themes in this Lenten season. And it's a time when we as Catholics can Uh, get back to our spiritual roots. Are you with me, Jess? Paul, yeah, I'll tell
1: you what I like. I like to see people, for example, some of the people in the mainstream media, you know, I saw some on Newsmax, some on Fox News. They had the ashes on their forehead. Some politicians I saw in Congress had ashes on their forehead. Uh, I, 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 I give them a lot of props because it does take a lot of courage to walk around in public being a congressman, a senator, a judge, a prosecutor, a chief of police. Uh, a news anchor, it takes guts to wear your ashes because you're going to get, you know, they're going to take jabs at you, the left, the secular humanist that you work with. And so kudos to all those people that were uh, openly wearing their ashes yesterday. And it's a time for Catholics to share their faith. Uh, when they, because people are going to make comments and say, hey, you got a smudge on your forehead. Uh, it's a time to say uh, no. It's just a time for us as Catholics uh, to remind us like you said in Genesis 3.19, from ashes we came to ashes we shall return. Life is short. Eternity is forever. Uh, a, mark with the, a mark with the cross of Christ. And uh, for the next 40 days, I want to tithe to God. I want to make my uh, relationship with God yes. stronger in the next 40 days. Simple. Simple, simple yes. response like that. Yeah. Paul, let me ask and, you a question. And, and, when, and, you were a, when, you, when you were a Protestant for 20-some-odd years and, and, and you saw people with ashes, what did you think when you were when you were a protestant
2: well you already knew that i i'm I'm what's called a revert so i understood what the ashes were uh maybe not maybe not maybe not in its fullness but i can tell you this that just it is a sign when uh when people uh uh you know uh, especially when we as catholics as a community we we you know we walk around and we have the sign of the cross those ashes on our forehead, you know, it points uh, and communicates a message to the world. And if anybody wants to, you know, ask the question, well, I wonder why they do that. And then they understand that, listen, we need to, you know, as, as human beings, we need to understand our our position before God. And God gives us this opportunity to, uh, uh, to do a little bit of navel gazing during this time. Uh, and, and during the 40 days, Jess, um, the church, you know, she calls us to, fa- she calls us to, fa- she-, she calls us to, fa- she- she calls us to fa- I'm getting, I'm getting, I'm getting a lot of feedback. I'm- okay. Go ahead. Just, 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 okay. She, she calls us to fast, uh, to overcome our disordered attachments to the physical, uh, pleasures, um, it, that's huge, right? We all have disordered attachments to, to physical things. And the church also calls us to intensify our giving, our almsgiving, because uh, we have a, a disordered attachment to possessions, to money and to things. We talk about this kind of stuff. And then finally, uh, you know, the church calls us to intensify our prayer. Why? Because we have a disordered self-love, Jess. Um, we have vanity. We have pride. Uh, so this is a again uh, for me. I'm excited uh, to you know during this season because it get, it gives me an opportunity to uh, really um, uh, spiritually rejuvenate myself and focus on the things that are important to God. Um, yeah. So that's what the, that's what it's about. <laughs> And I'll tell you, when you look at Lent, uh,
1: this whole 40 days theme, it's, it's very biblical. I mean, it, it's rooted very deeply, it, for, especially in the Old Testament. You have uh, Moses went to a mountain uh, to pray for 40 days and 40 nights, and he received the Ten Commandments. Yeah. You have Elijah, uh, Elijah that went on a 40-day journey uh, before he heard the voice of God in First Kings chapter 19. Uh, you got Jonah, who preached in Nineveh for 40 days and 40 nights calling yes. the Ninevites in Assyria uh, to call them to yeah. repentance. So, so Jesus in Matthew chapter 4, what he did is he basically followed the footsteps of the prophets, and this is a very Jewish thing, to take a tenth yes. of the year, tithing, a tenth of the year, and to consecrate it to God. And So that's what we as Catholics do. The simple thing that like you should say when somebody asks you, so what's learned, Mr. Catholic? You know, what's, what's with yeah. the ashes? Yeah. You just say, what we're trying to do is imitate our Lord Jesus Christ like oh we I like we were that the prayer and fasting for 40 days we're trying to do the same thing that's all. it's
2: a simple answer yeah we're trying to imitate Jesus and just closely, more closely for 40 days yeah and what and when people think of tithing they they automatically think of money but the most valuable thing you can give to God is yourself um, you know Jesus in, in Matthew chapter 11 just so you know you know we're talking about the roots of all of this uh, in, in in Matthew chapter 11, verse 21, Jesus says, Woe to uh, Chorazin, woe to Bethsaida, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. So Jesus acknowledges this practice and he understands it well. And so we as Catholics, uh, you know, uh, we, we know that... Um, uh you know this ancient Jewish practice this uh that the that, that the church has done uh since the beginning uh is just uh it's completely biblical. Yes, absolutely uh hey
1: you're listening to Jesus 911, Jeff Romero, Paul Clay. I'm on my way to the Arizona March for Life. I'm on the freeway uh with a carload of people, carload of uh, holy Catholics and uh, <laughs> <laughs> on our way over there to, to, to is to that track. that racket that I'm hearing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the racket you're hearing. You're going, "What's all the feedback? I got a I got a truckload of people." Yeah. <laughs> I can't even, I can't yeah. even hear myself talk. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so uh yeah, we'll be we'll, on the next talk, I want to talk about six things that every Catholic man should live by. I'll make it short and brief. Six things that every Catholic man should live by. You're listening to Jesus Nine One. Stick around, don't go anywhere. We'll be right back.
0: Now, back to Jesus Nine One One. If this call is not an emergency, dial eight eight eight. 526-2151.
1: Soul Patrol, Patrol, Jesus one two-man car, Jess Romero, Paul Clay. I want to quote the great prophet Moses. Deuteronomy chapter 30, the great prophet Moses says, I call heaven and earth today to witness against you. I have set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. Choose life. Did you hear that, Joe? Mm. Did you hear that, Katie Hobbs? Did you hear that, Nancy Pelosi? Did you hear that fake Catholics choose life? By the way, I'm, I'm, I'm with a truckload of people right now. We're on our way to choose life, to the Arizona March for Life. Uh, Paul, I want to talk now about somebody who is a, a, a man of goodwill. I think he tracks in the right direction. His name is Dr. Jordan Peterson. He's a famous psychologist from Canada. He wrote a book. It's called 13 Rules of the Catholic Gentleman's Rule of Life or 12 tr- rules for life from Dr. Jordan Peterson I want to talk about six things that he talks about that are essential that every catholic man should live by uh this is good okay. uh, this is good uh this is good red meat for for men number 1 he says i will fear love and honor god above all others even at the cost of my own life in other words mm. rule number 1 for men is before anything else we must Fear, love, and honor God above anything else, sports, recreation, yes. your job, your hobbies. God must be first. And, and when, we as Catholics, when we as Catholic Christians say, fear God, we don't mean the Muslim fear of God. Muslims have mm. what's called a servile fear of God. That means it's a slave-master relationship. When a Catholic mm. Christian says we fear God, that means, of, oh, yeah. uh, that means a, a son-father relationship or a daughter-father relationship it's it's a filiality yes. in latin which means we we love we we lo- we fear god because we don't want to offend him so there's a different
2: yes fear reverence
1: fear yeah a reverence it's a reverence and a devotion to god it's not a, a fear of a slave like like taught in islam any comments
2: yeah uh again it's it's a rever- reverential fear of god and um this is proper uh As you said, Jess, we have a relationship with God that's unique. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us, that we should be called sons of God, and such we are. And this is a huge difference between uh, uh, God as he has revealed himself through the one holy Catholic and apostolic faith, the Catholic Church, and Islam. That was was a great point. Um, uh, Let me go into the second point, Jess. He says, I will honor holy things and treat them with respect. Once upon a time, sacred things were treated as sacred. Even in Western churches, a screen separated the sanctuary and altar from the people. The highlight, uh, this highlighted the mass as a holy moment, not some ordinary event. By the way, this is exactly why uh, we receive our our blessed Lord on the tongue. Not not only because we're unworthy, Amen. but but yeah. it 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 you know this is not common. This is something uh, you, you're actually receiving God, body, blood, soul, and divinity. Our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, yes. Yeah. So uh, we now live in a world that has lost all sense of the sacred. <sighs> Boy, he's right on the money on that one. Even in some Catholic churches, you have people who trivialize what is holy. <laughs> we don't want to drag God down to our level. Sure, Christ came down in the flesh, but this was to raise us up, to share in his divine life. Jesus is your Lord. Remember this and be reverent. I like that, you know, uh, you know the, the reason Christ came down was to bring us up. Not, you know, not to drag God down to our level. (laughs) Yeah, that that reminds me of what the great church father,
1: St. Athanasius, he said back back in the fourth century, he said, uh, uh, God became a man so that men can become gods. Now, of course, none of us are going to become a god like the Mormons think, but what he means by that is that God's going to divinize us. Or as they say back in the Eastern Catholic Church, theosis. We're going to become like yes. God in
2: participation. That, that's, what, that's what Athanasius meant. Yeah. Point yeah, three, yeah, so that men will become three, holy like God. Yes. For, yeah, exactly. Point
1: number three uh, for men. I will learn to pray as if my eternal salvation depends on it. God created hmm. us to be in a relationship with him. And prayer is that bedrock of the relationship. I mean, how can you have a good relationship with anybody if you don't talk to them? If you want to stay married for any length of time, you better be talking to your spouse. If you want to be in a relationship with God, you better be talking to God. We call that prayer. Now, again, prayer could be spontaneous. It could be liturgical. It could be rote. It could be meditative. However you choose to approach God... Just do it. Like the, the old Nike commercial says, the more you pray, the stronger your soul grows. And of course, there's going to be ups and downs. I get that. But but we as Catholics, don't let your emotions dictate your behavior. We have to try yes. to. And I tell guys, especially, guys say, man, I'm bored when I pray. Dude, I can't do it. I, I say, dude, <laughs> smash through it, break through it. Okay? As they say in the Army, soldier on. You got a kid in the Army, I have a kid in the Army. Soldier on, uh, uh, or as they say in football, smash mouth football. Grab that football yeah. and run and give me two yards. Go go down the middle. I tell guys, dude, smash through the boredom. Just do it. God will honor you. Yeah, he'll look at you like, man, my, look at my son. There, he's bored, he's distracted, but he's fighting to pray to me.
2: God honors your well, effort. Just do it, guys. Well, yeah, and just I have a couple of comments on this one. Number one, there's three forms of of prayer. Uh, There's individual prayer, which is good. And then there's, you know, community prayer. When you pray with others, that's better. And then the highest form of prayer is liturgical prayer. And the reason why liturgical prayer, a lot of people would say, well, why is liturgical prayer the highest prayer? Well, number one, the liturgy, as you know, that we celebrate in the mass, according to St. Pope Pius X, it is the greatest prayer in the world. Uh, the Mass is the greatest prayer in the world. And when you, when you pray liturgical prayers, and you can do it uh, also on your own, essentially what you're doing is um, you're, you're, you're praying uh, sacred scripture. You're praying the words of God, the words God gave us back to God, and nothing could honor God more than his own word. And we know that that word is a person, namely the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's powerful You know who else I, uh, I heard say That is
1: Father Chad a uh, Mentor and personal friend of mine He said that the, mm-hmm. the prayers of the Mass Especially as they're projected by the priest He says The Mass is praying to God The words that God has given us So there can be no greater uh, Form of adoration Because these are the actual no. prayers That God gave us And we're, we're projecting them back to Him
2: just what you did. Mm.
1: That was uh, yeah. That's that's powerful. Hey, what about
2: point number mm-hmm. point number four? Yeah, point number four. I will struggle with virtue, and to overcome myself, no matter how difficult the process. Not sinking to the level of mediocrity and excuse making. And I like that. I will struggle because that's exactly right. If any man wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, pick up his cross, the instrument of death and follow me. The spiritual life is hard. Christ said, take up your cross and follow me. If you're going to get serious about the spiritual life, it will hurt. Growing spiritually involves dying to yourself and your love of pleasure, comfort, success not that those things are bad in in and of themselves but you can let them dominate you that's why penance is an essential part of spiritual life we have to mortify our desires for food drink sex and other pleasures so that Christ can reign in us and just I, I i'm just going to say it you know um Listen, as 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 I quote often, G.K. Chesterton, we're only in this world to get out of this world. When you understand that the world has fallen, when you understand that uh that God has graciously, graciously given us and made us partakers of the divine nature, that and and and, and, and as a result of that, then he has allowed us to go out into the world and be an extension of the ministry of God himself the Lord Jesus Christ uh, uh, you know we're on the Titanic it's going down and we have a job to do we're not here for pleasure right now we're not here to be distracted with the you know with things as if there's nothing wrong look around uh look at what's going on in society uh, we call this church militant for a reason. It's all hands on deck, and it's time to get involved and to, uh, you know, join in and share in the ministry of Christ, which is what? I came to save that which is lost. Paul, well, it's interesting you say that because uh, one of the
1: agents of the Antichrist, his name is Klaus Schwab. He's, he's, a, he's on record saying that by 2030, none of us are going to own anything, and we're going to be happy. Well guess what uh, by 2030 uh, who knows at the rate things are going right now jesus christ our lord and savior may be back before 2030 i'm just saying i'm not a prophet i'm mm-hmm. just saying uh we may not see 2030 if uh if, if we don't uh, correct this ship especially this president uh that's got us involved in in uh, the, the, the the preliminary stages of world war three which is very dangerous yes point number five yes Uh, the article says, I will prefer the Beatitudes to the world's values, remembering the truth that if anyone loves the world, the love for the Father is not in him. The world operates in a a very clear paradigm. The world operates exactly opposite of God's order, because the world emphasizes what? Power, pleasure, prestige, revenge, look out for yourself. But when He flips all these worldly values on their heads. He says stuff that, that's, it scandalizes the secular humanists. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. When you look at the eight wow. blessed, wow. Jesus promises, for example, eternal joy to those that are persecuted, those that are yes. suffering, those that are forgotten. So uh, people that are worldly, they can't wrap their minds around this. But for but for us, it's a challenge. This is a huge challenge for us that uh, that that are living only for this life. So it's try it's time for us to take the beatitudes seriously and meditate on them frequently. The beatitudes, if you if you meditate on them seriously, they will change your life.
2: Yes, yes. So, so Je- you know, percent. Jess, you re- I, I, yeah. But as you were talking, you reminded me of a. Uh, the, the Protestant uh, missionary uh, Jim Elliot. Uh, one of my favorite yes, quotes from him is, he, "He, yes, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose." You see, God is telling you know he's he's saying, "Listen, uh, give your life to me here and now, and and, and what I'm going to return to you is far greater because you can't outgive God."
1: Amen. Listen to Jesus sign We're going to a quick break. Hard break. We'll be right back. Stick around. We're gonna talk about the Babylonian captivity and how that relates to the Captain Church. We'll be right back.
0: Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888 526 2151
1: Soul Patrol, Jesus 911, we are, we are blessed by the best, and we want to tell the rest. Who, who are we blessed by? The Lord Jesus Christ. I'm here with Paul. Amen. friend. I worked with Paul 30 years ago in the Los Angeles Sheriff's Department. We're two retired cops. Love the Lord Jesus Christ. We, let, we are devoted to the Blessed Virgin Mary. We are faithful sons of the church. Yes. We're talking about six points that men should know
2: uh, to become better Catholic men. Paul, what's point number six? Can you share that with us? Point six. Yes, point number six. I will treat others made in the image and likeness of God with dignity and respect, especially remembering to honor and serve the poor, the weak, and the rejected as I would Christ himself. Well, Jess, you're doing that right about now because uh, because those who can't, uh, who are made in the image of God, uh, you're getting ready to go and, and do that walk for life. Uh, but uh, anyway, continuing on with... Uh, with the author's thoughts here this goes back to the two great commandments which are really one love the lord your god with all your soul mind strength and love your neighbor as yourself each one of us is made in the image and likeness of god this includes the poor and the suffering uh as well as the unborn i'll add the saints who served the poor always said that they were serving Christ Himself, and Christ said that we would be judged by how we treated the least among us. God, out of your way—excuse uh, me—go out of your way to love and serve others, especially those who can't give anything in return. Otherwise, you don't really love God. These are life-changing principles that will make you holier and happier. You know, just. Um especially during Lent, almsgiving, this is our opportunity to do and, uh, you know, and just to bless people and, and, and just to exercise these 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 virtues that God has put in us. Um, again, God says, how can you love me who you cannot see when you uh, when you can't love your brother who you can see? So um, that's great advice. Amen. Hey, Paul, I want to I want to move. In fact, let me just describe to you what I'm seeing. I'm here at the
1: Arizona yeah. State Capitol, downtown Phoenix. There's thousands of people here, thousands of pro-lifers. I'm sure most of them are Catholics. A lot of them are evangelicals, people of goodwill. Uh, they're having some praise and worship. There's a big, there's a big Christian concert right before, the, uh, right before the actual march, which is at 11 o'clock. It's right in front of the, uh, mm-hmm. the governor's office, uh, the senator, the congressman. I'm sure there's a lot of FBI here. They're going to see him <clears throat> if if uh, radical Catholics are terrorists. <laughs> so they're going to see us with rosaries in our hand, with Jesus in our lips, with Jesus in our heart. Uh, there, nothing. Not, I'll, I'll t- I can tell the FBI nothing to see here. Nothing to see here. Move on. Move on. You want to you want to see some crooks? Go to the Bohemian Grove. Uh, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> let's, let's, yeah. Let's move on to. Oh, there's a, there's a. I I want to connect some Bible history here to the present crisis that we find ourselves in in America and in the Catholic Church. And I I say in America because Ronald Reagan called America the new Israel of God. He he called it a city Mm -hmm. on a shining hill. And we know that actually the new Israel of God is the Catholic Church. Uh, At least two popes have said that in the last hundred years. So...
2: Well, Paul, a, Paul the Apostle said there, it as well.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, and so there is a phenomenon called the Babylonian captivity that I want to talk about. I want to read the, share the story written by a, by a deacon, and then I want to connect it to this present darkness that we find ourselves in. Okay? All right. So... In the year 587 B.C., the Babylonians, this is all Old Testament history, but I'm to, me and Paul are going to make the connection here to the New Testament or to the Catholic Church in America right now. But this is the, the important part of Old Testament history. In 587 B.C., the Babylonians sought to control the trade routes that passed through Israel. So they invaded and destroyed Jerusalem. That was the capital city for the Jews. And they destroyed the temple. That was like their Vatican. Okay, that was their. I mean, that was the holiest... Uh, building that the holy church, the holiest building that they had. It was like a, compared to our, our St. Peter's Basilica. So the Babylonians, Babylonians destroyed the city of Jerusalem, the temple of Jerusalem, and rounded up every able bodied person, every Jew, they called them back the Israelites, that they could get their hands on. And they forced the Jews, get this, on a 900 mile long walk for a large island in the middle of the Euphrates River which is just south of the city of Babylon. Now, guess where Babylon Hmm. is today? Babylon is present-day Iraq. So it's estimated, according to historians, that there was about 120,000 people, Jewish people that they rounded up, and sadly, less than a third of them survived the long walk. The long walk to Babylon was one of the worst afflictions put upon the Jewish people after more than a generation under these conditions the vast majority of the jews they never set foot again in jerusalem they never experienced the beautiful temple again and their dreams of their homeland in jerusalem were based on the stories that were told by their grandparents why because they were now captives in babylon so their plight it seemed hopeless a lot of the psalms paul that david wrote he was writing about the jews prisoners in babylon and they're 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 called songs of lament or psalms of lament and so god looked down upon his, his his children the israelites and god prompted someone to write in the name of isaiah and give voice to the lord's promise so that as isaiah writes in chapter 49 verse 6 isaiah says that he would raise up the tribes of jacob and restore the survivors of Israel, close quote. So notice, God is promising liberation, deliverance, and restoration for the Jewish people. Much like us today, we, will be, we as Catholic Christians one day will be fully liberated, restored, and delivered by the Lord Jesus Christ. What happened to the Jews in the Old Testament will happen to the Catholics in the New Testament by way of analogy, by way of what's called simile. Okay? History is going hmm. to... It doesn't repeat itself with the same characters, but it rhymes. It's just different characters, different years, different places. But what exactly happened to the Jews will happen to the new Israel of God, the Catholic Church. So let me continue. The deacon writes, he says, that this would be accomplished, Isaiah's prophecy would only be accomplished and identified as the servant of the Lord. So when we hear this passage, we interpret it as a prophecy of the coming of Jesus, the Messiah the ultimate servant of the Lord, who will free his people and bring us back to our homeland, which is heaven. And that's true on a spiritual sense. That's what Isaiah is saying spiritually. But the captives heard Isaiah and his prophecy as a warning that hope alone would not suffice. Rather, they had to put their faith in God that he would, as promised, send someone to liberate them from captivity and return them to their homeland. So the message was very clear by Isaiah. without faith. Hope has no foundation. And again, God made good on his promise. How God fulfilled his promise to free the captives in Babylon and bring them back to their homeland, this is remarkable. Because for many centuries, it was known that there was a rich, womanizing, pagan king Cyrus of Persia. He conquered Babylon in the year 539 BC. And what did he do? This wicked king, he released the Jews from being prisoners from captivity. And, he, and Cyrus, the Persian king, now allowed the Jews to go back to Jerusalem. Watch, me and Paul are going to make some connections here. But details of how this came about have been unknown until in the 1870s, a set of stone cruciform tablets was uncovered in the ruins of Babylon. And these tablets were taken to the British Museum in London and translated into English. The translation was published. And so our general understanding of just how God fulfilled his promise, the captives in Babylon, is less than 100 years old. Here's what happened. In the year 556 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar became king of the Babylonian Empire. And it's estimated that at that time, the population of Jewish captives had grown to about 125,000 people. Nebuchadnezzar was a very strange man, prone to delusions, and he attempted to replace the main Babylonian god that was called Marduk with his personal favorite, which was named Sin, S-I-N. And so following a dispute with the priest of Marduk in 552 B.C., Nabonidus left Babylon on a campaign in Arabia, and he wound up staying there for 10 years, leaving his son Belshazzar in charge of the Babylonian Empire. So, Nebuchadnezzar declared that the entire empire was to observe his return with a month-long celebration of the Babylonian year, New Year of Akitu. And so in 542 B.C., God used Nebuchadnezzar's fascination with divine revelations to prompt him to make an unannounced return from Arabia, but he delayed entering the city of Babylon for another two years. Upon entering the city in 539 B.C., Nabonidus declared that the entire empire was to observe his return with a month-long celebration of the Babylonian New Year of Ak- Akitu. The festivities were to include everyone in Babylon's army as well. Thus, or they, this ignored the fact that the Persians were invading the Babylonian empire from the north. And so, this is what happened. The conquest of Babylon ended without a skirmish. Not a single one of the captives was placed in danger. And so, on the seventh day of the New Year celebration, the Persians overran the city of Opus and destroyed it. Nabonidus and his court ignored this. Nothing was going to detract from the celebration of his return. And so on the 14th day of the celebration, the, the Persians took the city of Sippar, facing no resistance at all from the Babylonians. Again, the Persians' advance was ignored in Babylon. Finally, on the 16th day of the celebration, the Persian general, Gobirus marched his troops through the unguarded gates of Babylon right up to the palace, seized Nabonidus and his drunken associates and ended the conquest of Babylon, taking the Jews captive without a skirmish. And right after this, this is where the Persian king Cyrus entered the city of Babylon, and he fancied himself as a brilliant military strategist, but he's the one that rescued the Jews. Me and Paul are going to make some connections on the next segment on how The rescuing of the Jews in in 539 BC, what's going to happen to the Catholic Church in the future as well? We'll be right back. Jesus 911, two man car, stick around, don't go anywhere.
0: To Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888 526 2151.
1: So, patrol Jesus 911. Today's Psalm for Holy Mass was Blessed are they who hope in the Lord, Psalm chapter 40. Yes, blessed is the man who follows not the counsel of the wicked, nor walks in the way of sinners, nor sits in the company of the, of the insolent but delights in the law of the Lord and meditate Amen. on his law day and night. Paula, one of my favorites Babylonian captivity. <laughs> yeah. We're talking about the. I know I've heard you quote that a lot when we were young cops we used to quote that mm-hmm. all the time. And I mm-hmm. remember that that reminds me of you. Hey, uh, you want to mention something about uh, the Babylonian captivity? Some of the context there.
2: Yeah. Um, just for a little bit of clarification, you know, and then you can wrap it up. But, um, so when, we, when we're looking at ancient Israel, we have to remember that um, David, King David, he he, what uh, he was a thousand years B.C. And then after that came the Assyrian captivity. The Assyrians came and around 586 is uh, w- what they refer to as the Babylonian captivity. So when Jess was just I'm, I'm pretty sure when you were mentioning that David wrote of uh babylon it was prophetic is is that correct correct
1: absolutely okay because he, he lived he lived uh, a year, the thousand bc and and he was right. years before the babylonian captivity so let me wrap this up and i want some, right. i want some parting comments from you uh this the the the, the article says about cyrus cyrus knew that he faced a threat from egypt to the west god prompted cyrus to free all the jewish captives and helped them return to Jerusalem. This would set up a buffer country between the expanded Persian Empire and their enemy Egypt. Cyrus even provided resources for the rebuilding of of the temple in Jerusalem, the temple which had been destroyed by the Babylonians years earlier. Cyrus even restored to the Jews all the precious vessels the Babylonians had looted from their temple. When things seemed hopeless for the captives in Babylon, God used two opposing kings, one demented, the other ambitious, each pursuing what they thought were their own interests to accomplish what he had promised. The captives were freed from their long captivity without a single one of the captives being placed in danger. Even when things seem to be beyond hope, God finds a way, often in the most unexpected manner, to deliver for those who have faith in him. So when you're feeling down, Catholics, reread this little history of the Babylonian captivity. And the remarkable way God delivered on his promise to those captives, and know that if he can deliver the Jews in such unexpected ways as that, he can certainly handle what we may be facing. And as Psalm thirty nine says, Psalm thirty nine, eighteen, quote, Many are the afflictions of the faithful ones, but the Lord will deliver from them all. Have faith. Mm. Uh, brothers and sisters in Christ have faith in God uh, put your trust in Jesus it's well founded remember he's alive he's not dead we serve a living Savior not a dead Messiah Paul any comments about the Babylonian captivity
2: as it relates to us I got some- you know Jess, um yeah really quick I love by the way that story and I love the fact that uh, for those who aren't familiar um, uh, the prophet Isaiah approximately 700 BC he wrote in the you know in the book of Ezra uh, he prophesied and he mentioned Cyrus by name that God would, uh, you know, basically 150 years beforehand that God would use him, uh, in a special way. And, uh, you, you know, you were talking about, you know, how it parallels and how history rhymes, Jess. Uh, uh, I, it just made me think about, uh, uh, Donald Trump and a lot of people maybe aren't familiar, but, um, uh, there was a gentleman, they called him the Hermit of Loretto. And uh, yes. he, uh, yeah, yeah, why don't you tell us that story, Jess? Because I, I think it relates uh, as to what you're saying, uh, how yeah, the Hermit basically. The yeah. yeah. He prophesied
1: this in the early 80s, Paul, the Hermit of Loretto. Yeah. And by the yeah. way, back then, yeah, he prophesied that Donald Trump is going to save America or save the world. I'd have to look at the prophecy again. And people were looking at this hermit saying, are you crazy? You know who you're talking about? This bombastic. Yeah, the,
2: the playboy, old, Donald Trump. <laughs> billionaire
1: playboy, Donald Trump is going to save the world. Yeah. This hermit back in the like 81, 82. He said, yes, God told me that this that Donald Trump is going to save the world. Uh, and so that's where you're going with. You're making a connection because I see the connection as Donald Trump, Paul. He was like our Cyrus of Persia. Cyrus Mm -hmm. the Persian King was rich, he was a womanizer, and he was worldly. That describes Donald Trump. And yet God, like he used Cyrus the Persian King to liberate the Jews from the wicked Babylonians. Paul, I think for four years, we had the most peace and prosperity that the United States has ever seen like in 60 years— under our Cyrus, the Persian king, which is called Donald J. Trump. What do you think?
2: <laughs> yeah, uh, again, it just goes to show you that uh, God takes that which is not in order to nullify the things that are. Uh, you know, Jess, also, uh, I would just like to, you know, encourage everybody in Isaiah, uh, you know, in, in the book of Isaiah, I believe it's chapter six. Uh, yes, you know, chapter six. The. The, yeah, the King Uzziah, he he dies. And, uh, you know, in, in, earlier in chapter five, Isaiah starts issuing a bunch of woes. And, you know, he says like, woe to to you who call good evil and evil good. Well, that's reminiscent of today that we, what we see going on here. Right. And, and Isaiah pronounces all these woes. And then, uh, you know, uh, r- right in the beginning of chapter six, the king dies and, you know, for, for them, that was this huge earth shattering event like what's going on. But Isaiah gets a vision. He gets a vision in heaven and he says, and I saw the Lord high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the whole temple with glory. Uh, uh, back in the old days. Uh, you could tell the greatness of a king by how long his robe was. You know, it's kind of like almost like a bride, how they have these long dresses that, you know, yep. go behind him. Uh, well, it's the same idea, only in the old mm-hmm. days, if a king had a really long robe, uh, he was a great king. Well, God, his robe filled the entire temple. And then Isaiah wow. sees the seraphim. He sees them, you know, with six wings With two they flew, with two they covered their eyes, and and two they covered their feet. You know, their feet were like, you know, uh, it's like symbolizing the fact that they're creatures before God. And they said, day and night, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Uh, This is the voice, that uh, the vision that Isaiah got. Isaiah, when he sees this, Jess, he falls down and he says, Woe in me, for I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, I live amongst unclean people. And, uh, you know, so, so the whole point here is no matter what's going on, God is on the throne. There's Amen. nothing in heaven. Things were things were operating just as normally. Nothing happens on the earth that doesn't go by God's throne.
1: That's called divine providence. And that's a good thing for us to remember as Catholics, Paul, because sometimes many Catholics fall into despair. They're biting their nails. Their knees are knocking. Oh, whoa, no, what's Biden doing? Oh no, what's Klaus Schwab doing? Oh no, the CCP. Oh no, world war three. God's in control guys. God's got this. Yeah. Whatever happens, God knows exactly what needs to happen and why it needs to happen. And God has a plan. And as as it says in Romans 8, 28, one of our favorite Bible verses, you know, God will, will bring good out of evil. I just shortened it up. God will bring good out of apparent evil. God wins at the end. And also something else interesting, Paul, uh, that when the Jews fled the holy city of Jerusalem when it was being destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar, the, the king of Babylon, back you know, in the sixth century, uh, it's it, it, there's a verse in First Peter four seventeen, and I say this because uh, Saint Peter calls Rome back in the first century. It's kind of a code name. He calls it Babylon in First Peter I five thirteen. That. He calls Rome Babylon, yes, it, it, but it, it's kind of a code name. But notice, yes. he also says in First Peter four seventeen, for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us, mm-hmm. what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? In other words, yes. uh, just like what God allowed to happen to Jerusalem to be destroyed by Babylon, God allowed Babylon to be destroyed by the Persians. Guess what? Uh, history rhymes. Just there's different characters mm-hmm. and different dates and places. But the fact is, the judgment that we the right now, what we see in the Catholic Church is a judgment of God. What is a judgment of mm-hmm. God? Two things. St. John Hughes says wicked prelates are the judgment of God. And number two, chastisement, purification of the
2: church. That's the judgment of God. Yes. And uh, that's what we're seeing now. You know, oh, yeah. Jess, you it sounds what? to me like you're saying we're going to the woodshed. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to the yeah, p-
1: said, but Saint Padre Pio says I'm going to wrap it up because we got uh, we're we're down to the wire here. Saint Padre Pio says, pray, hope, and don't worry. Worry is useless. God is merciful, and God will hear your prayer. Remember, Amen. Sir, remember, family. We're called to be great saints. Don't miss the opportunity. You were born for such a time as this. God allows yes, you to be yes. right now because He wants you to be Saint Paul, Saint Jess. You know, uh, Saint yeah. Anita uh it, it, God has put us for such a time as this, so we've got to set ourselves apart from this corrupt generation because we were
2: born to stand out. We're not meant to fit in Paul. go ahead and wrap it up, yeah, 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 and remember uh King David said, I will not be afraid though ten thousand men set themselves against me round about. listen, even one with God as a majority, uh remember that. Listen, uh, God wants us to walk by faith. And uh, again, we might not be able to see the way, but God sees the way. And all we have to do is simply trust and obey. Um, uh, I hope you're encouraged. I hope that every person out here takes advantage of this Lenten season uh, and, and uses it as an opportunity to repent and turn to the Lord.
1: That's right. Mark one fifteen. Repent and believe in the gospel, family. And Genesis three eighteen. Yeah. From dust you came, to dust you shall return. Hey, that's mm-hmm. a uh, That's a wrap. Uh, thanks a lot, Paul. Thanks for going ten eight
2: with me uh, on this two man car. Uh, have a yes, yeah, a... brother. And, and and we'll talk. You to you, got, you guys stay. Yeah, you guys stay safe out there.
1: You got it. Thank you. Yeah, I just got here to the Arizona State Capitol. I'm going to start participating in the March for Life. Uh, up next, Gary Matruda hands on apologetics, the big guy coming to you from the Midwest Command Center. As for Justin Paul, 911, we're out. E-O-W, end of watch. God bless you. Keep the faith. See you soon.